does not want to eat Bailey's ass like a feed bag. Uh, this is... I fucking floored me. <laughs> right? That... Uh... It's so gross that you visualize it. Like, that, it's... That, like, it's, it's like that... It's like it crosses that line from being, like, you know, like, crude and vulgar to, like, I can actually... Like, you actually, like, start to visualize such a thing. It's a very visceral tweet. It definitely conjures an image that's... Like, like you feel it. <laughs> and there's, I mean, 
Bailey's ass is, I think, universally praised commodity in the wrestling universe. I think that there's very few people who argue against it, except for that one Bailey ass truther that we came across on Twitter. Um, and even that I, person, I, 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 I feel like I, I don't want to do this. It's please, probably please. in more like I'm pro- pro- probably in more like that camp. To be honest with you, but we can move on. Yes, yes, let's. Uh... Let's do that. Yes, it is uh, definitely a very visceral and and hard to uh, hard to shake <laughs> idea. But this week, Quentin, Thank, thanks, thanks, Simon. Yeah, this week, Quentin, we are the Shawshank Redemption um, as we are covering NXT. Um, NXT Redemption was uh, that was the the forever right? That was the wild and free season. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was yeah that was the one that just happened forever and then. Uh, like it's like it's it's the most insane thing, like like considering everything everything WWE has ever done from Brawl for All to some of the stories they've written. NXT Redemption may be the most wild fucking thing in retrospect that WWE has ever let happen. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, very like. Fandango, like there is a lot of great Fandangos. That's not Fandango. That's Johnny Curtis stuff from yeah, that. Derek, Derek, Derek Bateman, Derek Bateman and, stuff. And Caitlin, there's so much shit going on there. There's some, there is some definitely insane stuff on there that uh, oh, just on, legendary. On top of that, you, on, on top of that, you still have heel Michael Cole. So, <laughs> oh on yes. Top, on, on, so on top, so on top of the show actually oh. being bad and just not making sense, Michael Cole is like genuinely hates it and is going full on heel shtick every fucking week about how much he hates it. It is so wild. And it had the, I think it had the weird, the same weird thing that happened on early um, NXT that like when they had the the show that was only on um, International and Hulu where like certain main roster people would, would just like choose to show up. And, like, it wasn't even, like, they were being told to go. Because, like, I think, didn't Cesaro, like, Cesaro Tyson Kid types would show up. And there was that was what, like, led to, like, Cesaro being a big deal in NXT when it was, like, the the, the developmental yeah, so show. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, same thing with Kid. Like, you know, yeah. they would, like, just hop in, hop in here and there. And then once they rebranded it and made that what FCW used to be, they're like, oh, yeah, like, for some reason Tyson Kid and Cesaro are here. Yeah, they would just, like, show, like, guys like that who just, like, wanted to show up would just show up whenever randomly, like, the people who wanted to, like, work out and get in the ring, like, get some ring time and stuff. So it wasn't even, like, um, you know, like, what was, is it Big Show? Big Show, Mark Henry? I think both of them at one point got sent down to, like, OVW to lose weight or something. Like, it wasn't, like, one of those punishment things. It was, like, a am just going to go. So you just, like, have, like, Daniel Bryan randomly show up and shit like that and, like, just wrestle, like, and then do weird shit. I think a lot of... I don't remember this 100%, but there was, like, weird Daniel Bryan stuff, and I don't remember how much of it was on NXT Redemption and, like, Saturday Morning Slam and stuff, but, like, the wrestling of Bears stuff. I think he brought back the I, cape I, I, at one I, point. I, I, I I'm, I think that might have been like, I think that at least like the cape might have been Saturday morning slam yeah yeah that's the match where he like where he uh like did, like pretty much like does like does the ball like thing from World of Sport and yes just, and just like rolls all over the place <laughs> yeah but WWE when they just they had so much other shit going on with like their <laughs> John Cena and Rock storylines and like uh, everything else like, like just just. Let NXT just do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. Which now NXT, like, weirdly is, like, a lot more similar to what that was again, but it's, like, way worse and has lost all of the fun 
Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, because it because it, it takes itself seriously. Like, yeah, a guy that's like a guy that's referenced in this idol, uh, the former Sam Shaw, now Dexter Loomis, is like randomly attacking people and is making the undisputed era faces. Yeah. I, I guess so. I mean, but it was like, it felt like he was being pushed as a baby face at a time. And now... He... The Undisputed Era are definitely, are definitely baby faces at this point. Yeah, but I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. We should, I guess we should get into this. Unless, was there anything else you want to talk about before we talk about NXT? I know. I, I, like, I don't, you know, I don't have uh, much very serious stuff to talk about. Yeah, um, me neither. I mean, uh, you know, like, rest in peace to jo- Jonathan Price, uh... <laughs> Guy, you know, a black man that got killed in Texas breaking up a fight. Um, a man, a man assaulting a woman, and a cop tasered him. And while he was convulsing, the cop got threatened and shot him three times. And I guess the reason why this is notable is that Jonathan Price is actually like pro police, uh, and like actually like you know has has like more in line with like conservative ideals. And it was interesting to me to see like you know conservative people suddenly, you know, have empathy and remorse and, you know, uh, care, which, you know, granted, like, they should with all cases like this, but suddenly when it's someone that has, like, their beliefs, you know, that, like, I, I'm seeing less and less of, like, well, where's the proof? Where's the proof tweets when it comes to him? Right. And that, that, that's just, that's just an observation. Otherwise, obviously, like, rest in, rest in peace to him and condolences to his family. I just, I just thought that was an interesting note. Yeah, I mean, it it plays into the bigger picture stuff as well as you talk about the, the blatant kind of, um, oh god, what is the the the, the blatant just like, um, not having the same reaction when the you know turnabout is fair play, the hypocrisy of it all. Um, similarly, with like the COVID situation with the president and the, the people who act like it's nothing. And then now it's not something to joke about or whatever. It's, you know, all that it's all the same thing. Uh, nobody has any morals and it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter to point it out either. Cause it doesn't, uh, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't prove anything. Um, like, Oh, like, Oh, what me? Yeah. 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 yeah you motherfucker. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so we, uh, get into NXT <laughs> takeover 31. Um, seems insane. Um, <laughs> I, I, I saw that during the O'Reilly and Balor match. I didn't really, like, you know, notice it any other time during the show. And I saw it I'm like, there's been 30 fucking one of these? I know. It feels insane. Um, they've only been doing these since, tw- like, when's the first actual takeover? 2014, right? Uh, you know, like the first that actual, seems right. Like, take- yeah, yeah. I've been doing this for six years. Like, what the fuck? It's exploded because there was one time, like early on, they were only doing them maybe three times a year, and then now I guess this they just fucking ridiculous. This fucking ridiculous. And they've just started like doing them every every couple weeks. I guess is the new uh, the new deal. Um, because yeah, the first one wasn't even takeover, right? It was like redemption or not redemption. No, no. it was a uh... rival. Or yeah, arrival. arrival, yeah, and then like fatal four way, and then like I think the one with Neville versus Tyson Kid, like one on one, was like the first takeover. Yeah, 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 and then uh, yeah, damn. I mean, for years they were only doing like three a year, and then I don't know what the fuck happened, but I guess time makes fools of us all. Um, thirty one, thirty one. 
Um, this is in front of a the the new Capital Wrestling Center, which is literally just the NXT Performance Center, but they renamed it and with put cages with not not even really like cages, like chain link up against the plexiglass. Yeah. I guess <laughs> kind of like the old yeah, like, Fight Club Pro days. I was gonna say it's like uh, it's like that, and then they and then they have, it makes it like the Thunderdome. Yeah, everything. yeah. Which so that's like the Capital Wrestling Center, right? Which is funny because I. You know, obviously no one knows what the fuck is going on and, and everything changes day to day because it's a company run by a madman, but I heard people talk about, I think, one of the last little WWE COVID outbreaks um, and that that was relating to why 205 Live taping was getting switched because it was noticed that there's a lot of crossover between talent through 205 Live, people working NXT and main roster shows and worried about there being a major outbreak that could go across the brands that way. Um, and But I didn't hear anyone referencing that when they talked about this, why this is happening here, because I heard people saying, why aren't they doing this in the Thunderdome? Why do they move? And it's like, well, they're if they're smart, they're separating the crews even more to the point where you try to get as little crossover as you can. If they were really smart, they would do that for SmackDown and Raw as well, so that there is any outbreak, you can isolate it to only one, you know, roster, but obviously they're not going to do that because they're fucking stupid, and they book everything last minute, so they randomly just have, like, different people show up in different places and and act as if, like, it doesn't matter when they're supposed to have some brand split or whatever. Not that I care about the sanctity of the WWE brand split, but I do care about the idea of, like, helping cull the the spread of of a... virus that's like ravaging the country and you could easily do that by having these three brands be uniquely separate and not have a lot of crossover um but so yeah so they're in the new capital wrestling building they've got a uh, a packed house of of what they what it says on cagematch.com or dot net as 70 70 people in 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 uh, capacity house here um so you know that's uh good for wwe really packing them to the rafters they've got the weird thunderdome i don't know how much of this like uh the walls of TV screens things you've seen, but I fucking hate it. It drives me insane. <laughs> um, I've seen very little I, I, of it, but I, I don't so, like it. So, so like, so like I watch, I watch basketball. So yeah. Oh, so often. they're doing that a lot there, huh? They're doing it a lot in other sports, right? That, that, yeah. Yeah. That, that's the that's the entire bubble. Like that's what it's been the entire time. Okay. It'll be um the virtual fan section, and it'll be there. It'll be there every game. Yeah, I gotta get used to it. It's like who I don't know. Who cares? It's the weirdest thing because it doesn't. The the why you want fans? It doesn't enhance, yeah, it doesn't like I've never understood the, the perspective of being the fan who gets the virtual reality ticket. Right. Yeah, like that's the only I guess the only person who would be happy for it because the reason why you want fans in attendance is for the the ambience, not so I can see them. And with this, they don't really have it set up to where the, you could hear them, right? Because that would be atrocious if you could just hear all of, of these, all of these people's individual shitty mics on their lap on their laptops or whatever it would just sound like shit not. yeah it's, 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 it's more like um the same thing that WWE is doing it'll be like you see them on the screen and they can react and they can do stuff but like as far as like the actual noise is coming in is generated through machine machines and all that kind of stuff yeah so to me like i don't want to see fans i don't i'm also the person who likes the wrestling that's set with like the crowd is black and the ring has the spotlight on it and you can't see the audience you know so even if when they're in there in person so i'm like not excited about getting to see fans i don't care about seeing the people um but yeah so <laughs> they got that going on we open up with uh the archer of infamy infamy damian priest versus uh johnny wrestling is he still johnny wrestling uh johnny gargano 
Um, uh, yeah, I, I think he's still done wrestling. I don't know if they're calling him something else too now in NXT. It seems like they they love the nicknames. Uh, well, they have, they have like the gar- the Gargano way now. Ah, uh, the Gargano system. Like when, when, whenever he cheats, it's called the Gargano. Ah, uh, it's the Gargano system. It's like the Dennis system from uh, Sunny. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. Um. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I didn't hate this. I, I, mean, I liked I liked it. I mean, like again, I, and I'm someone that doesn't that doesn't really like Priest. Right. Um. I think he's like a fun, like novelty guy. You know, you know, big guy that can. Like he's like him and Luchasaurus are effectively the same thing. Sure. So it's like, so like I, I'm fun with him as like a fun, like novelty guy. But I've, I've, I've always said I like Hill Gargano, man. I've always liked. I've always liked Hill Gargano, and it's something I'm gonna point out, especially when we get to uh, EO versus Candice. But like, Heel Johnny as this whiny chicken shit almost. A la Christian and Christian and some of Christian's points really works for me. And Johnny is still a good worker. Johnny can work on top. Johnny can work a limb. Johnny has clever offense that especially works when he's being like a sly little heel. And I thought Priest sold well and obviously gets, you know, bomb throwy at the end. But I really liked Johnny here. And I thought that Priest held up his end of the bargain and that heel Johnny might still be the best worker like or one of the or one of the best workers on the roster despite the gimmick change and everything he's still really good at this yeah and and i think that the late stage wwn kind of like baby face over pushed i the icon right wasn't that the farewell to the icon thing that they did for yeah, farewell his to the icon yeah stuff. Yeah, like that that end run for Johnny Gargano in WWN, I think really fucking is what soured a lot of people on him. Because that, I mean, the over-pushed, over-the-top babyface stuff for him just never worked. But yeah, looking back historically, his heel stuff, even think about stuff like like uh, the stuff with Ronan, um, like his relationship yeah. with Chuck Taylor, the Gentleman's Club type stuff, like... All of that, he always had really great personality. Chuck Taylor's a guy, obviously, that people like me and you online like always like really praise for the personality stuff, and and it's easy to forget that Johnny was like with you know with him hand in hand for a lot of goofy Johnny, shit. Johnny is like I've always said like one of my favorite wrestling gimmicks is like the original Bo Dallas character, right? And like the reason why I love it is because he really believes he's a good guy. He, he believes. honestly, genuinely. Bo leaves it. It's, it's really fascinating to me to watch him be so perplexed as to why people don't like him, whether it's fans or other wrestlers. And Johnny gave me the same thing while being a better worker. He had a better prickish side. He worked better. And even if he didn't have the same punchable face that Bo Dallas did at that point in time, it's, it's that kind of character and he just played it perfectly. And here we're still kind of getting it in the in, in in NXT where you know now he's still bad guy has bad guy music and bad guy colors, but if you still watch him and still see his facial expression and how he acts and the whining, he still believes he's the good guy, and that's something I really do miss in my heels. And I don't know, it was just refreshing to see Johnny be a version of himself that I that I really enjoyed and all the people that have come to love Johnny Gargano in the last few years and think of him as the best character in NXT history and he's the best worker in NXT history. And those people have their opinions, but for me, I always waited for the Johnny Gargano heel run. 
Yeah. And I really, I like I said, I had, I had completely forgotten, kind of, like, had gotten so soured on that time. I, like, didn't even think about it. But now that it's back, I'm, like, very much, yeah, I'm with you. I'm into it. You know, it's not... It's not like the most exciting thing that's making me want to pay attention, but that's also because he's right. he's stale on the NXT brand and like they're not really he's not really the focus. So it is kind of unfortunate that that's the situation. But it is like in a situation like this, watching this match, it's like he does really well there. And maybe if I was paying attention to everything, I might be more invested in the character and what he's doing in NXT right now to where I would enjoy it. So unfortunately, I'm just. Yeah, I'm not that excited about it. But even like the stuff where he's coaching Candace, and like you said, we'll talk about it in the match where he gets involved. Like, very, very good stuff there. Um, follow that up with really a one-sided performance. Um, well, like it, it should have been. Then sure. It, then it wasn't, and it's so fucking weird. But I, well, I guess one-sided in the sense that there was only one person involved that was interesting to me that I cared about. Um, yeah. And who turned okay. it up? Okay. Yeah. Kushida, Velveteen yeah, Dream. Sure. He was Velvet. Kushida was working for three people in this match, which, which was you know really awesome because this is not something that we've seen out of Kushida in, I mean, as far as I I can't remember ever really seeing this level of, of aggression and violence out of Kushida. Um, well, like at least since um, the Hiromu match of like Dominion, in twenty seventeen, probably. Sure. Yeah. Something even along the. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could see that, but I'm just like, yeah, okay. But, but, yeah, but I'm, but I'm with you. It was the same thing, like Kushida coming and having the darker gear, attacking him yeah. before the bell, and he did a, he did a similar thing with Bushi too, where once he was beating with Bushi, he had a match of destruction with him, and Kushida wore the black wore the black gear and just beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, it's a few and far between thing with Kushida that he doesn't explore with his character very often. Yeah, and to see this, because it's NXT, it's WWE, they don't do this as the one-off thing. This is, usually this is the the sign of things to come. This is like a character shift that will continue. So that's intriguing to see. The, where he, the, the heel turn. Yeah, or if it's not even a heel turn, it's just more aggressive. I don't, who knows, yeah. you know what I mean? But something where he's going to be a little bit more like this more often. They don't do, you know... It, like try to explain the idea of something like like because what I was thinking of when we talk about that like different gear different style like Kishin Liger kind of thing like where it's like every now and then or like even like the demon thing like when WWE tried something like that they overdid it <laughs> you know what I mean and he was the demon on every pay-per-view for a while there until like he got hurt <laughs> or not even that he got hurt but like he disappears and then now he's back in NXT and they're not doing the demon Balor stuff at all it's like they don't know how to do something subtly where it only shows up every now and then um so to me, they don't do something like this unless this is the direction. But yeah, I mean, I I really liked Kushida here a lot. Um, the aggressiveness that he brought was was phenomenal. It turned up turned up the heat. And really, I think that while I'm a big fan of Kushida over overall, and I think that there have been times where I've considered him in the conversation best wrestler going, you know, in the world. Um, like that's not. I don't know that that style and that's going to get over in. NXT. So something like this, I think, can help set him up to shine a little bit. And hopefully this means that they're going to take him a little bit seriously. But the other side of it is, like, who he's attacking and who he's doing this to is Velveteen Dream, who is the disgraced former golden boy of, of the NXT brand that, like, theoretically... Might, might still... I mean, like, they still protect him. Like, I mean, might, still be, might still be golden boy? Like, maybe. Yeah, that's the thing about this that makes it weird, because it still leaves weird question marks. It's like, Kushida is extra aggressive. It's not 100% like a destruction, which, like, kind of, you even pointed out, maybe it should have been. Um, 
and then in the end, Kushida kind of gets the he goes over the top and gets kind of um, gets. I don't know if they reverse the decision or what, but he does the post match beatdown and gets. Yeah, he, he, he attacks him after. I remember the decision being reversed. Though. Yeah, but so it's just kind of like going over the top with all that, and it's like, so is this a punishment? Is this a downgrade for Velveteen Dream? Or is it a focus on Kushida? What is, you know, that's the thing about it because there's backstage stuff that's obviously very gross. Um, and then there's also, like, what's really going on here that makes it, co- the whole thing come into question. Is this, is it? And, and Kushida, like, like, if you notice, like, NXT, it's like, something you have, like, you have to notice now is, like, they they do their pushes in waves. So, like, right. they'll sign somebody in, like, really, they have to, they pretty much have to wait their turn for, like, a year and a half. Until the in that in that track now, I, w- I would think to get his push, he's uh, a star a star from Japan has a lot, has a lot to, has a lot accomplished. Is he is is a pretty easy plug and play guy as far as he, he can work with. He's not someone that uh it might like might have a hard time adapting like a Kenta did. But I think now this is just his turn in the cycle. And for me, I say coming out of this and coming out of the show in general. Man, I really fucking want to see Finn versus Kushida. Like that's that's how good Kushida was in this match, and that's how good Finn was in the main event. That immediately, at, like after that show, I was like, okay, I need I need Finn, ver- ver- Finn versus Kushida immediately as soon as they can possibly do that. Right, and if this was any other company that books in a way that makes any sense, right? It's like that's this was the only singles match that didn't have a title on the line. And Kushida gets the win, so he this would be a number one contendership match setting up for you know setting up for the Finn Balor match. But it's WWE, so unfortunately, who knows if that's the case? They could go anywhere, and especially with the post match weirdness, who fucking knows where they're going? But uh, but I'm with you because yeah, I mean that would be especially with the main event that we see and we see what kind of they're even doing with Finn. It does make you kind of go like yeah, that would be fucking great because clearly. Yeah, Finn, Finn is Finn, having fun Finn, with this Finn, title Finn run, and they've got history with each other. I mean, we talked about it just work. recently. Yeah, and it's not even just working. Like, he's wanting to to bring it with people who maybe aren't as established as him and make them look great. I mean, fuck. Like, he's going out of his way. And, like, we'll get into it when we, t- when we review the main event, but, like, he's going out of his way to basically give people what you know the best career the best shot that they have to shine them up as a star so fuck yeah um and like i said kushida and, and finn balor have history with each other the the rivalry between their tag teams in the past were like a big fucking deal for a long time so them getting to show off here so yeah when you talk about like kind of the waves or the patterns that nxt does for their pushes when they when they book people when they come in it's like i I, I, I kind of appreciate that they do that differently because I think that a lot of people get caught up, in, especially nowadays, like or rec- relatively recently, people got caught up in this idea that like when someone shows up, they all have to just get the monster push, and that's the only way that you like push someone when they first show up, even if it's a major signing. Like I think it's kind of cool to do not always do that and to do like the person needs to earn their spot on the roster kind of push where it's like someone shows up and just because they're new and they showed up doesn't mean that they can beat everybody out of the gate instantly and one that i always remember is like dalton castle when he showed up in pwg and i remember people were like losing their mind because he he loses to like chuck taylor who was like unbeatable in pwg at this time for him and then yeah like that, like, that, was, like the, that was like that was like the beginning of chuck taylor's push. yeah and then like adam cole who's like a former champion and people were losing their minds like why do they bring in fucking dalton castle just to have him lose all the time and i'm like because PWG is supposed to be the best fucking wrestling company on the planet. That's their whole idea. 
some random dude isn't going to show up and just beat everyone. He has to earn his spot on the roster. Like I said, he has to build his way up to to make it there. And I think that people lo- forget that because they just want everyone to show up and instantly hit the ground running and they're the biggest deal. And it's like, no, like sometimes you show up and it's like a learning curve and you're not the best person there instantly. And you have to earn your way to it. And I, I kind of like that because I think that it, it builds up the brand and it makes it look like being an NXT isn't the kind of place where every fucker who shows up is just going to beat everybody. Like some people are, gonna, some exactly. people are going to show up and they're going to have to earn their spot. And so it's just like, yeah, I like the idea Kushida comes in. He has the little bit of a run that he's had with a few matches here and there, but not a lot, nothing that stands out. And then now he's bringing some intensity and, 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 and coming back. From yeah. Injury. Comes back from injury. And now he's brought some fucking aggression and some intensity and he's, he's kicking ass. Um, Next matchup here, I've heard a little bit of different opinions back and forth. I'll be interested to hear your take. Um, my takeaway is even before the match starts, we've got Santos Escobar, um, El Hijo de Fantasma, or King Cuerno, um, depending on uh, if you're, you know, what your fan base is, going up. Yeah, depending on your fan. Yeah, though. going up against uh, Isaiah's Isaiah Swerve Scott, or Shane Strickland, or uh, Killshot, depending again what your what your background base is. Um, so these guys, both Lucha Underground wrestlers, I don't know if they cross path a bunch of, in Lucha Underground, but either way. But my big takeaway when the match starts is, like, they fucking sign Scott, Swerve, and they bring him in. And, like, this is supposed to be kind of a, you know, a big spot for him. They're talking about this is the first time this title's ever been defended on a takeover, all this. But, like... Me and you were constantly talking about how much of a star he had become before he left the indies. And a lot of people bringing that up about how big of a star he became. And I see no fucking star power out of Swerve Scott when he's coming out to the ring. His entrance is, he's got barely, like, no personality that we saw before. Nothing special about him. And then you get into the match and he's good and he's doing spots and he's wrestling fine. But it's just like, why do you sign this guy? who's made himself into a fucking commodity and then you just take all of his personality away. <laughs> how do they do this? Yeah. Like, how do they just make him not into just, just not, a not guy? Just, not just him. Not just him. I thought it was really, I thought it was really poignant watching Phantasma too. Yeah. And watching him. He had, he has so much charisma in any other setting, whether that was as, uh, Ildo Phantasma or King Cuerno. As King Cuerno, this, Ice cold assassin killer type, as he held as he held Fantasma, the arrogance that he would exude when he when he wrestled and just in his character and his promos. That's all gone as Santos Escobar. Doesn't really exist. When he wrestled, you're not getting that same thing at all. So it was a match where the work was fine. The work was good. It built up just fine. I didn't have a problem with the near falls, the build, the drama, any of that. It just felt like I'm too. I'm watching two guys where I know they have way more personality than this, and it felt like they got stripped of literally everything. Yeah, it's the star of the match to me was uh, Wade Barrett on commentary. <laughs> like the story that he was that Wade Barrett was telling and talking about, like what is Shane Strickland doing? Why is he changing his game plan? He beat this guy before. Like that was the 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 most personality I was getting out of the match was from Wade Barrett telling me the story in the background between these guys. And they're giving me almost nothing. I mean, like I said, like we both said, the work is good. The back and forth is good. The spots were great. Stuff was crisp. Everything was put together really well, except for the the finish was was not only... I, I, I think that some people see the finish and thought it was messed up. I saw the finish and saw that it was a dumb idea. Because I think that some people thought it was supposed to be that Scott hits his head on the post. But it was supposed to be that he hit his head on the actual turnbuckle. 
that was exposed earlier in the match by Escobar. But yeah, but 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 it looks like he has, but it looks like he has to have a post. But it looks like he's supposed to be hitting the post, but misses. Basically, is what it ends up looking like. Exactly. It's just such a stupid, minute way to fe- finish that it was like asking for it to get like to look bad. Because it's like no one buys into the turnbuckle itself being a big deal. It's really small. You hit your head on it. It doesn't look like anything, and it just looks like you missed the post. It's essentially what ends up happening. You know, you know, you know who, the, who did the best version of that will always be Almas and Gargano yeah. from their from their takeover match because once Almas hits that double knees while Gargano is up against up against the the pole, Gargano like it, the sound it makes, the visual, and just how Gargano sells it really sets in oh my god I think Gargano has a concussion yeah but trying to do that here in a more convoluted way just does not work no. at all no another one that stands out to me too is the um the like accidental slip DDT with Kenny Omega and Naito that one's always fucking epic where, where Naito they like slip and then it looks like Naito DDTs himself on the top of the, the pole that's fucking always yeah, that's a that's... crazy one um but yeah I mean so yeah this match it suffers from two guys who have insane charisma and insane personality feeling like they're just completely stripped of everything and a finish that was just like really contrived and shouldn't have been the idea. Um, should this, the, whoever came up with the idea should be shot, I think. Uh, but yeah, so because if you watch it, like he does, he executes the actual finish that they wanted to do really well. It's just a, a stupid finish that doesn't look good. So it just looks like, he, like I said, like it looks like he misses the post, but really he does hit the, the turnbuckle, like the actual turnbuckle itself, not the, the inside that they call the turnbuckle. Um, mm. So yeah, so so that, but like both said, the match is good, but I'm just, I'm fucking bummed out seeing these guys who should be exuding big time charisma and star power feeling like, you know, pointless cruiserweights um i don't know if you have anything else but there was one more takeaway that i just crossed my mind after watching this match um um i was, I was gonna say real quick and then, you can, and then you can get into your point it's just maybe it was because strickland got to do what he was doing and create this character character working more as a tweener and sometimes kind of heelish and that might be his sweet spot and I feel like now, in this current NXT, where the heel side, especially on, especially for top guys, I I personally feel like it's kind of weak as far as people that are actually interesting and fresh. That if you gave Swerve all his personality back, give him, you know, give him, you know, give him, like you know, let him get the let him get the shades back, let him get it, let him get his cooler look, but he looks like a fucking nerd with those with those capris on. Yeah, come on, man, like. He, he he doesn't he doesn't look cool. If you let him go back to his old look, and work more tweener with like the badass transitions and limb work, and then mix in the striking and the flying, I feel like he's a star. I feel like he's a made guy. If you want to have him in a in like you know get get a one off match with with someone like Finn or even Adam Cole, who I feel I feel like like that stuff would work, but this face version of Strickland. I don't think it's accentuating his best qualities. No. I think, yeah, I think you do something similar to the Evolve run right before he got signed, where he's showing off that badass personality um, and just being a fucking complete dick, then, yeah, I think that you can you can do something there. Um, but, yeah, the, the my takeaway, though, was thinking about the WXW Tag League, the JML wins, and the feeling at the time of it being like, 
these guys are both like coming into their own. It was before Strickland had really completely done his whole thing. I think uh, David Starr was starting to feel like a, a, a commodity in wrestling, but he wasn't quite there. And then they break up all the stuff that happens in the background. You hear about this. You hear that Strickland gets blackballed from WXW because of some bullshit that Starr does. And at the time, I think it was really easy, especially even for like me, to be like, well, Strickland is friends with guys like Sammy Callahan and the Christs, so I don't know if I buy that like that that Star really did you know, some dirty shit to him and yeah, you know, you know, like how exactly can Shane Strickland be if that's if that's his, if that's his, right like frankly and it was kind of like well maybe Star is justified and now with the stuff that comes out now and the way that you hear about Star it's kind of like what the fuck happened there and also like yeah man good like kind of like good the cream rises to the top kind of thing and Strickland is here in WWE doing well and Star is blackballed from wrestling because. Like, that could have fucked Strickland's career. That was at a time when they were really hot, and he's, like... I'm not going to say lucky, but it's it's a good break for him that he was able to put it together after that because that was a huge thing. They were fucking WXW Tag Team Champions, and they were, like, poised to, to break out. They 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 beat Marty Scurll and Zack Sabre Jr. in the finals of the tag league. Yeah, they were, like, building to them being important, and then that switches into David Starr getting that shotgun title run that, ends, like, kind of catapulted his career as being, like, you know, the workhorse of the indies across the world. And Strickland was kind of, like, on the back burner working whatever small indie spots shots here and there and he made himself into a star and he gets himself signed and i'm just like really happy that that worked out and i'm also like questioning like fuck like there was a time where i, I wouldn't you know it didn't matter i wasn't taking anyone's side particularly but there was a time where i questioned like strickland's side of the story and now looking back on it it's like fuck like maybe strickland was right and he was the stand-up one in the situation and he got fucked by by star i wouldn't be shocked now finding out how shitty star really was but yeah that was the thing that kind of crossed my mind after i watched this match Man, like the fact that it's going on four years later, and we still have no clue what happened, <laughs> is think think about think about the think about the entertainment medium that we're in. Right. This is professional wrestling, and somehow for like, what the fuck happened? Right. It's very weird. It's and there's been like little rumors and stuff here and there, but nothing that's ever been like. You know, completely proven. But, like I said, more power to to Swerve, um, and hopefully he can hopefully he can put it together here pretty soon. Um, follow that up. We've already hinted at it a couple times. NXT Women's Title Match. We're gonna mention stuff with Gargano here um, because obviously he plays a role in the finish and plays a little bit of a role in the personality of Candice. Not a, not a lot. Not completely. We've seen some of this kind of from Candice before. Even before you do the Gargano thing, um, but yeah, Candice versus yeah, like, but, but like, but like, but like, but like, way, way back with Candice. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, Candice kind of turning it up, turning up the heel stuff, doing the the tributes to Super Dragon stuff. Even still, oh. I love. Um, so yeah, Candice. Candice is like this worked like a as Candice versus Io Shirai that we're talking about the way for the NXT Women's Title. Candice broke like a fucking bruiser in this match, man. Yeah, it was so it was so funny to see Candace and her well like her like picks her like her pixie nickname and the gear she's wearing and the hair dye and see her just scowl and be angry and throw EO around and have that cocky ass smirk on her face it's she's not bad at it it's, it's Candace alright she's a really good wrestler but it's so goddamn glaring to me that 
no matter how good the baby face is, WWE always has to turn them heel. Yeah. It's amazing that somehow Rey Mysterio bypassed all of this. <laughs> because you go down the line of people that WWE just turned heel for no fucking reason. Like especially like like even in even in just the last two years, you're like, what the fuck is going on here? In what in what universe are Sami Zayn, Candice LeRae, Mustafa Ali, and Bailey all heels at the same time? Yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, and like this match in particular, you tell me four or five years ago, oh, you know Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai. And Candace is the heel and Eo is the babyface, and I'm like, what? Like, why would you do that? What the fuck? You know what I mean? That just seems so ridiculous. But it works. It works here, and sometimes it works. But goddamn, they they are like, yeah, they're committed to anybody who should be a babyface, a natural babyface, one of the greatest babyfaces of all time type level people, and they have to be heel for some reason. Um. And, uh, yeah, and then you've got, like, Roman Reigns, who has to be a babyface forever until just recently, and now they're seeing how fucking well he's working as a heel, and it's just like, why do they have to fight the stream so much? Like, really, what is the point here? Um, and the Ali, you know what stands out to me the most about the Ali thing, and maybe this is just, like, me with a little bit of, like, just kind of the framing that I look at it, but he's a former police officer he's got all of this like cool stuff about him that he's talked about with the charities and all the stuff he does in the background and then finally it's taken him this long but they had to turn him into a terrorist character like it might be like whatever it's supposed to be or like he was the hacker and this but it's like it is basically a terrorist character and it's just like god damn like they they were gonna get there eventually um it just or, took him like, or like if you don't even or, or if you don't even want to go as far as terrorist more so like you know because it is probably like it is trying to it is trying to be Antifa, right? Like, but if you don't even if you don't even if you don't want to go as far as terrorists, it's gonna make Ali for everything that he stands for seem bratty and privileged and like a complainer because the sure. heels that that's what they're gonna get labeled as. So everything that Ali stands for and Ali and Ali advocates for and all the very real things Ali has faced in his tenure in WWE is now gonna be framed as bratty privilege. Right. Well, no, I mean, looking at it from the aspect of like who's writing this Vince McMahon number one donor to uh, Donald Trump's election and just during the debate that just happened before Donald Trump got COVID um, he was asked to denounce white supremacists and before he could even finish tacitly kind of denouncing white supremacists he then felt the need to compare them to Antifa so you say it's supposed to be Antifa as opposed to terrorists but I mean if you're comparing Antifa to white supremacists you're saying that they're terrorists white supremacists are fucking terrorists right like uh, you know it's just what it means like what that word means but but yeah it's just like do, 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 Antifa you know what, to, you know to that, Vince you know what that Trump thing felt like during the debate where he was like yeah sure I'll, I'll denounce white supremacy but like, like <laughs> it felt like it was going to like R. Kelly in 2002, like, okay, like, define white, define white supremacy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, of course it was. And yeah, what do you want me to call him? Who who are you talking about? Who should I say? Like, there's good good people on both sides. White supremacy. Just, there, there are, they're really, god damn. Ah, ah. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. Candice LeRae, El Io de Shirai. Um, the, uh, the match itself, 
like we, we talked about, good work. If you told me five years ago this was going to be the heel babyface matchup, like who is who, I'd be fucking, I'd be confused, maybe upset. But now I'm just like accepted it. It's Bizarro World. WWE itself has become the Bizarro World that they used to always say Canada is. Um, but uh, but the match was great. I, I don't know. I feel like, it, right? I feel like it's could have been better. I liked um, I liked it, but I liked the Toronto match more. Probably okay. Um, Io was really good. At, Io was really good at all as always, and Candice is playing her role really well. I don't know. Sometimes Candice's lack of offense really does shine through, especially yes. especially in a spot like this where she's the heel and she's working on top. You know, I know that Io can make up for that with her moon salts and dives and, the, and and everything, but Candice's lack of offense, and I get it. Like she's. But pretty much being a bruiser and throwing around and being a heel. Unfortunately, you know, the goal isn't for Candice Array to do all the cool moves, but that's also like old school heel thinking. And obviously NXT doesn't abide by old school heel thinking. So it's funny to me to sit there and watch the Johnny Gargano match and watch Johnny do all his normal shit. And then watch Candice. She's like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to work like I'm fucking Pete Dunn now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, and good Pete Dunn. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then, okay, so then the post, or the, you know, closing match shenanigans, Johnny Gargano comes out as a referee. Was that not one of the stupidest fucking things ever? It's I really mean, stupid cause why is Because they just did something But it's like, great. They just did something like this earlier in the year, when Bailey, Bailey. Put, on, Bailey put on the ref shirt, <laughs> somehow was yeah. in count three for Sasha versus Asuka. So it was, it was really fucking stupid, but at the same time, like, if you view Johnny as, like, as kind of comedic relief a little bit it's funny like especially yeah. especially when Can- when Candace hits Eo with the belt and Johnny just loses his shit outside and starts having a temper tantrum like again like a la Christian in, in like 2002 or 2003 it's it's funny it's comedy Johnny Gargano's a f- throwing a temper tantrum he's acting like a baby and like, well, uh, it's funny to me just like to see Candace have like the more stone cold demeanor of the two, <laughs> Johnny Gargano flailing on the ground. Like that's that's just funny as shit to me. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and it works, and it's it's it is funny because Johnny is becoming the the perfect hybrid of his two WWE dads with Triple H and Shawn Michaels because it's like he definitely plays up the bratty, snotty side of the like the heartbreak kid heel character but then he does have the the triple h like uh early hbk thing of like being the the snotty heel who's got the female hard ass like she's not his muscle but he's got yeah, the he, female he, like, hard he, ass he, partner he, he's somehow both <laughs> yeah he's mixing the the two heel characters and it's like of course they love it because those are his you know that he's like playing homage to them um, he just has to start doing some road dog spots, I guess, which I can't even think of what that would be. Um, I'm trying to think who, who road dog would be for Johnny Gargano. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, and that this is you talked about it, but Gargano being kind of the comedy thing, and it's like he got his match out of the way, and his match was pretty much serious the whole way through, and he did a good job. And then he comes out here, and this is where I think that comedy stuff works really well i mean i don't mind i'm not one of these people who hates comedy and wrestling right. in general but i think comedy does is works really well when it's something like this where you don't you're not making fun of the wrestlers or the wrestling match you're doing something funny and it's like gargano in this context is not a wrestler he already had his match and this doesn't affect his match because it's already out of the way so 
It's like he can be goofy and he comes out here and he does make this work even if it is fucking stupid. On paper, this is really fucking stupid, but Gargano's dumbass character makes it make sense. So it's like, okay, perfect. So, you know, again, the closing stuff I thought was done really well. And, and like, I could see in a lot of other contexts and a lot of people who were, like, curmudgeonly hating this. But to me, like I just explained, like, I think I think it worked in the context and that's what matters. I, I get so fucking sick and tired of people who critique wrestling and booking and all this kind of stuff and, like... They just look at it like, okay, here's the the list, and we just check off the boxes, and this is what this is good, and this is bad. Oh, okay, there's handwork, good. <laughs> you know, sh- a shout out to Simon. Oh, uh, this person didn't sell their leg for a minute. That's bad. That gets nicked. Off. And it's like all that stuff is not how it works. You don't just like check things off in a box. It's about how it makes you feel. Wrestling is supposed to be an art form. Right. If it's just fucking like checking boxes off and doing spreadsheets, go like literally it's, follow it's, anything else. It's, it's mechanical. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, there's real sports for statistics. Watch baseball. If all you care about oh, is the statistics, God. follow baseball. And, and, Wrestling and, is not and, baseball. And I, and I like baseball, but I've always said, anyone that can watch baseball year-round and watch damn near every game of a baseball season is a fucking lunatic. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so like, so yeah, to me, it's just, it is, it, people get into that and they, they just, they want to like... And that thinking is what leads to stuff like the Meltzer star system being completely fucked. Because now that so many wrestlers wrestle to Meltzer's taste, and he just checks off the boxes on what makes a stars because, you know, he's a he's a not a non-biased raider and it's not his personal opinion it's just all it's all very you know exact science and that's why if these matches are worked exactly to his specifications perfectly then they can't be within the range because now they they've checked so many boxes this has to be eight stars you know and that's again that's where it comes down to like wrestling judging wrestling judging this stuff based on kind of feeling and execution and things in the moment and not yeah like statistical analysis of of hitting these certain quadrants and all this stuff um so yeah that's my i didn't mean to go on a diatribe about star ratings it's been a while really do you remember when the slack chat (laughs) the slack chat which we haven't referenced in a while used to have star ratings arguments like every month at least there'd be a big (laughs) fucking star rating blow up there's a fucking trask (laughs) it was trask really loved doing the star rating because he would change his shit every fucking time It was, all, uh, it was always something trash related. In my in my case, yeah. every time I was like, "Dude, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care if yeah. five stars is sacred. You're like, oh, that's the most perfect. Five stars is how much I enjoy something. Other than that, right. I don't give a shit. Like everything else was like it was like the weirdest thing every other month. <laughs> Even star ratings are subjective, like or like or an art form where like you have to you have to calibrate. When you when you read someone else's reviews or follow someone else's reviews, you like calibrate what their star ratings mean over time by paying attention. And it's another one where you don't you can't just look at someone's review or or like cold go into something with someone and see their stars and say like, "Oh, well they gave it this many stars, so that means this." It's like, "No, it actually it's actually a nuanced thing that you have to understand what how they rate and what their taste is to what their star ratings mean. It's all it's so much like it's all subjective, man. That's the fucking cool thing about wrestling is that a ton of shit is subjective and it's it is an art form and like you get to like experience it in that way and it's not cold statistics. Again, if you want cold statistics, go watch baseball. Like the the game is pretty much boring and it's all about just keeping track of numbers and that's cool for some people, but that's not what wrestling's for. 
Um, well, 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 Tim, I'll have you know that I have never been incorrect in any match that I've liked ever. <laughs> and anyone who likes something, this is true. Anyone who likes something that I did not like is a fraud and an inaccurate star rater. Yes, they are an inaccurate. But you're allowed to give something a good rating and say you don't like it. You know, so you can still be an accurate star rader. You just have to crossing in, separate the two. Crossing in the, in the dirt, crossing in the dangerous territory over here, buddy. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, the main event. I have no idea what you thought about this. Um, I'll let you start it up. Kyle O'Reilly versus Finn Balor. What did you think? So, I saw that this was the I saw that this was the main event for Takeover, and I was interested just because. Oh shit! Like Kyle O'Reilly is getting a big spot on a Takeover. This is really interesting i wonder what made them randomly do this and i'm going through this entire takeover show when nothing has really blown me away so far and we get to the main event i'm watching a video package and it's telling you finn's story up to this point and then it gets to kyle and like i don't know man once they got to the kyle segment of that video package i don't know if it was just me but immediately i was sold i was sold right that second once they got to the once they got to the kyle bits that fuck I want to see this match and I'm someone that's a big Kyle O'Reilly fan I've always liked Kyle O'Reilly I've always liked he's one of the best wrestlers in the world when given opportunities and I'm glad that WWE took him and seen and have seen what he's done the last three years within the company and have decided like this is our quote unquote underrated guy this is the guy that we realize he's really fucking good and does everything really good and we're going to make sure that the audience realizes we know how good he is. And once he got that stamp of approval in that video, I knew that he was about to go out there and go all out. And Finn was taking this super seriously. I I love the I love the opening here with them going back and forth with the mat wrestling and neither one having really an advantage here. Uh, the transition spot, the fucking savat kick into the liver. In how good it was to see O'Reilly selling that, and the work Finn does working on it, working on his midsection after that, and O'Reilly's desperation in working and working leg and taking the opportunities he could when he had a, when he had a chance when he had any kind of daylight, and, and the the selling never stops. It constantly feels like O'Reilly needs this match. He needs to win this, and Finn is this is at least the best Finn performance I've seen since the Brock match which isn't that long ago it might have been last year actually but it's the best performance I've seen from Finn since then and he's so vicious and direct and everything feels so calculated and mean and seeing Kyle Riley work babyface and there's nothing goofy there's no sexy Kyle there's none of that there's a iffy Nigel spot in here that could that could have looked better but either way that's such a nitpicky thing for me Everything about this match, I love the pacing. Um, allegedly, it got cut because of Balor's bloody mouth and uh, broken jaw. Which, hey, even if it went longer, I'm not sure that I would have liked it any less. But it wasn't dramatic. It wasn't super dramatic. wasn't kick out heavy. It was just building. And I don't know. Maybe there's surprising people. I haven't. I don't know how people feel about this match, but I really, really liked it. There's all the typical NXT complaints you can have about this. Yeah, it might have went long. But other than that, it really wasn't like this kick-out heavy melodramatic match. It didn't have any uh, verbal cues where, look, look at me, Kyle. I'm the best. I'm the man. Like it had, it had nothing like this and all that extra dramatic shit. 
it was just straight up who's better Kyle, Kyle taking advantage of opportunity and Finn proving why he's the man and I don't think this match could have turned out any better I don't, I don't know man I really liked it yeah I'm I'm pretty much with you on everything there. Um, okay, so this is the way that 2020's been. Um, I could tell you that the Finn Balor-Brock Lesnar match did happen in 2019 in January, right? And not shocking. I could probably tell you it happened this year in January, and you'd probably also be, like, not shocking. I could also tell you it happened, like, in 1992, and you probably wouldn't be surprised. That's how fucked up 2020 has been. Um, but, yeah, it was it was January of last year was that match. So, hey, it's been almost a year. Or it's been uh, almost two years, um, and Finn has had a lot of good performances in between there. Uh, but I, I, I maintain that Finn Adam Cole match, people in the Slack because like you know Finn and Adam Cole are guys that kind of get pain for not being that good or that interesting. I maintain Finn better. Finn versus Adam Cole was better than uh, whatever that what Rhea versus Shayna. I maintain that. Okay, I'm not gonna argue with you on that. Um, I'd say it's probably better than. A ton of Adam Cole matches too. Like I, I liked sure. it quite a bit. Like, yeah. I, 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 I'm just saying. Like, I'm just saying because like, they were because they were on the same show. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. Like in general, like I thought it was a good match as well. I just think that there's a lot of like, there's been a lot of bad Adam Cole in WWE matches. So it's like Finn, Finn is pretty good. Like I don't know. It's 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 easy to write him off. And I've it, it, I've been. It, be, it became a it became a thing where like he became he became overrated. Then he became underrated, and it, it was it's such a it was such a weird like fluctuating thing with him, where people thought he was overrated, so they shadowed him whenever he didn't have like amazing matches, and it got to a point where it was like, hey, like Finn Balor like doesn't really have bad matches other than that Rollins match at SummerSlam. Other than that, like I don't know all these bad matches people are talking about. <laughs> the thing about Finn is that he's a very he's a very weird character, and like someone who could definitely get a a deep intersection on because i think that like you just said like he's overrated underrated and like kind of sometimes simultaneously depending on which crowds you're you're talking to because you look at like his his new japan run stuff it's like a lot of good early stuff as a junior the tag team stuff um with kushida is with is great or not with kushida what the fuck am i talking about well as with kushida as an opponent um with uh, Taguchi is there's a lot of really good stuff there. Um, the Bullet Club stuff is like the weirdest time frame because his matches to me were pretty good, and in a lot of ways, like you could compare him to Jay White. Like Jay White, I think is the first leader in quotation marks because it's hard to even say anymore what the hierarchy is of the Bullet Club, who's come close to being the same as Finn Balor was as the leader of the Bullet Club and that was I said, I, I said that like whenever whenever it was we had, whenever you have these big Jay White debates or conversations in the Slack because like for the most part in like the main Slack everyone everyone agrees that we like Jay White but I think it was a, it was a, it was the other one with Chad yeah and I, that's why I said like I had to explain like no like he's like he's like Devitt like you can yeah. look at him through the lens of Devitt you can't look at him like Omega or Styles he is the heir to, to Devitt Right, which makes sense, because Devitt's why he's in the fucking company. You know what I mean? Devitt got this guy signed. So uh, you have to remember that part. But yeah, like, he is the closest thing that we've come to that. And, like, at the time, a lot of the people who now pay attention and talk about New Japan were not around. And a lot of the only people who were around were the, like, crazy fucking Puro heads who, like, 
couldn't stand it because too much Bullet Club shenanigans. This is not what I'm here for. This is... Or, like, also the people who are just like, I don't like him because he's not Japanese. Like, there is, like, there's a certain segment of... Or there was. I think a lot of those people are gone uh, just because of how much New Japan caters to Western audiences now compared to when they used to. But there used to be fans who watched New Japan and liked it for only like the idea that it was a Japanese wrestling company was part of the intrigue to them and why they liked it. And so like someone like who's not a Japanese person getting pushed was bad for them, bad to them. Um, and then like the shenanigans was bad, but like now everybody in new Japan does shenanigans, like even the Japanese. So you can't really even make that argument anymore. Um, and a lot less of those like weird, like, you know, fans who are hardcore that way. Um, are not i mean they move on because i don't think you could watch new japan at this point and be like i don't like you know non-japanese wrestlers um but like that time period got shit on by most of the people who were paying attention because the only people who were paying attention were those fucking freaks that i just mentioned and then like maybe me and you who appreciated it i don't even know if you were were you watching new japan at like the height of finn balor's nxt run, or new japan run like the bullet club yeah, run yeah, I- yeah, I, I, I was I was there for all that. So, okay. And again, he had good matches. What am I like? He has a couple of my favorite yeah. matches, honestly. Um, the Shelly Best of Super Juniors final, I think, oh. is fucking great and like gets forgotten in the pantheon of like the more epic Best of Super Juniors final ma- finals matches that have happened in the years since. And um, obviously, Finn versus Gato is like fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so he had plenty of great matches at that time, but basically it all gets overlooked because of all the like, oh, there's too much bullshit. I even the Taguchi, or, 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 oh. or even stuff like the like the body paint, like him yeah. having like the cool like the cool entrances and shit, like then would like then would like overtake what what he's actually doing in his work. Right. No, exactly. So he was a guy who like would get simultaneously underrated and overrated at the same time historically, like his entire time, um, his entire career. It's been that way. It's fucking weird. So it's just. That that whole thing with him um, kind of has made his career very, very weird. But he's a good wrestler, and he had good matches with Adam Cole, which is enough for me. Um, and his opponent in this match also had good matches with Adam Cole, so he's good too. But no, like, this is the thing. Like, watching this match, and it was like... It was like a weird... I was, like, weirdly, like, phased back in time. So I wasn't even sure I could, like, properly appreciate, like... Or that I could, like, be non-biased in my review or my... Because you talked about Adam... Or Kyle O'Reilly has been in NXT for, like, three years, but... Or WWE for, like, three years. But, like, how many singles matches has he really had? And it's very few. And I was, like, teleported to, like, when I first started going to PWG. Like, almost eight years ago. And he was having the same big singles match Kyle O'Reilly matches that he had in PWG when I was first showing up, like, that was, this match was that, it was exactly that, like, his moveset has not gotten WWE, because he doesn't have singles matches, so for him to be randomly plucked, it was, like, a weird warp, because usually they would have, like, gotten, you know, trained him to do different stuff, or whatever. Yeah, like, like, there, like there would have been, there would have been a whole big Undisputed Era breakup, and yeah. a whole, like, adjusting of his moveset, no, it just went from, hey, Kyle O'Reilly, you're number one contender, and it's, like, it went from, like, point A to, like, point, like, like F yeah in like a matter of weeks yeah so it's like you know tag team matches are one thing but then when it's all you and the match that you're putting together is like a bit so he went he went reverted almost 100% back to like big match Kyle 
from PWG from like fucking you know eight years ago, seven years ago. Yeah, they're the, yeah, the exact same guy facing facing Gargano, facing facing Chris Hero, facing Adam Cole. Like this, like this is the exact this is the exact same guy. Yeah, and like I think that's what made it so cool. It's like you can't you. I don't think Kyle. Like, he's kind of like Thatcher in a way, where like what he does. You can't like WWE like w, like WWE like at that point he's useless. So you have to let him like be what he is, and then what he is is so unique and such a breath of fresh air. Even if like just he would like copycat and like try to like manufacture that style without being nearly as good at it. You see Kyle and Kyle's just a breath of fresh air every time you see him, whether it is tag matches or the rare singles occasion. Just kind of, kind of like Thatcher in a lesser way. He's always like such a breath of fresh air. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's it is interesting because I think that he he got a lot obviously from from Davy when it comes to like mixing the MMA stuff in. But I've always kind of said I think that Kyle O'Reilly is like the best person to adapt like MMA UFC modern MMA, not like just like pancreation, not like just like shoot fighting, but literally or, like or, or or not or not just like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, like yeah, like the, like the concept of mixed martial arts, like yes, he does that better than anybody. Yeah, it, to to bring that into a wrestling context, he like because Davy was a fucking psycho, and Davy <laughs> did some interesting, cool stuff that stands out historically as being like very unique. But the way that Kyle is able to take that and adapt it with like a normal person edge <laughs> you know what i mean like a a regular guy who's a human yeah, yeah, being yeah, doing yeah, it like, yeah like, like yeah like kyle sells yeah like davy like davy will do this and davy's not selling one fucking bit he's, you're gonna get in this fucking arm bar brother that's like that's, yeah. like that's what you're gonna do he's just like too, kyle, yeah kyle's gonna sell davy's too focused on davy he's a fucking psychopath who was like out there wrestling to pop himself and to do his own thing like what what was the quote where he's like sometimes when i'm out there i forget it's not real that's Davy Richards. Like, yeah. And Kyle O'Reilly is in control of his mental faculties. So he's able to take that from Davy and translate it into, like, an enjoyable wrestling match that feels like a wrestling match. And he's so fucking good at that. And I heard people talk about, like, if it was cut short. I don't know if it's cut short. I don't know what the fuck happened behind the scenes and all that. But to me. Finn's, uh, I did hear Finn's jaw was broken. I did hear that. I bet it's really fucking hard to keep wrestling with a broken jaw so I could totally see going yeah. home early. But, like, like. To me, it didn't feel abrupt because I heard someone say that. Like, oh, it felt like the finish came out of nowhere. And I'm like, how do you say that? Because, again, I'm in a time capsule. I'm in a time warp. And I'm back to Reseda where I'm like, this is how matches just end. Like, this is how Kyle O'Reilly matches go. He fights a bunch and then eventually they just end. Because he was never a big tons of near falls guy. He didn't do a lot of like the trading back and forth dance routine stuff. He did a lot of like trading back and forth when it comes to grappling and holds. And he would do like the heel hook stuff and the rolling on the mat that they did here. That was the setup. That's how you set up to the finish for a Kyle O'Reilly match. Like a big singles Kyle O'Reilly match. The setup to the finish is a heel hook, you know, like that makes sense or fighting for an arm bar. And then the finish, and then the finish is perfect because of the midsection work that's been done the entire match. So when Finn goes for the coup de gras, like, that should be it. That should be one, two, three. That's it. No more, like, near falls. No false finishes. No, like, more, like, you know, dropping on his head and suplexes. Like, once he lands the coup de gras and stomps on his stomach, like, that should be it. Yeah. And it's called the coup de gras for a reason. It's the fucking, the final event. It's the big deal. It's the coup de gras. You know, like, people... 
don't understand these things. Like, yes, it's a big fucking move. It ends the match. The one thing I will say, major politics played by Finn Balor here, and it shows why he's uh, he, he is such a big star in WWE because he knows how to fucking big dick and play politics. Because Kyle O'Reilly busted open his mouth earlier in the match, and there's a little bit of blood here and there. He's but, like, oh, you know, oh, no, oh I'm going to show you how to bleed from your fucking mouth, and he outshines him. He still wins the match, but he even outshows him when it comes to bleeding because this motherfucker is just crimson teeth, lips are beet red, blood pouring out of his fucking mouth. And the post-match shit, you could see him, he's going out of his way to open his mouth and breathe and mix the, you know, do the, like, the so Mick Foley. Like, like, look, yeah. look, look, at, look at my mouth. Yeah, check out all this blood. So he, not only did he fucking win, but he had to outshow Kyle's blood by having an even bigger bloody mouth if it was a shoot. Who knows? I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if Finn Balor broke his own jaw just so that he could uh, outshow <laughs> Kyle O'Reilly here. But uh, post-match, we get the... Oh, go ahead. So to get, like, get, like, uh, you're actually going to do what I was going to do here. Um, so... Something I feel like the Undisputed Era doesn't get credit for. Because, like, especially, like, you know, with how annoying like, I can understand them getting, or, like, you know, being on top for so long. But, like, especially now with babyfaces, they don't get credit for how genuinely they come across as friends. Yes. On like, the, especially when uh, Loomis comes out and drops Adam Cole on the, on the floor with his shirt torn. And Bobby Fish, who's always been good at this, whether it's been, like, him, like being Kyle's corner man being Kyle's tag partner or anything. When Bob, when Bobby Fish is there, Bobby Fish, is, like, he just seems like a regular person. Yes. He just has, like, normal person reactions. He's like, dude, what the hell happened? Finn, do you know what happened here? Did you do this? What the fuck happened? It's, like, everything about Bobby Fish, just, he he's the only, he's one of the only wrestlers where it feels like he acts like a normal person. Yeah. In, in situations. And I think that, like, I appreciate that as, like, the more Undisputed Era gets more into, uh, leaning towards baby faces but the fact that you know Bobby Fish has always felt like a real person it kind of rubs off on the on the rest of the group yeah no Bobby has always been good at that and he's one of these rare guys who's he's such a good promo while also being feeling supernatural I've talked about this in the past with him especially on some like old ROH stuff he's just so fucking good at that and like you know, Trent Seven also obviously very good at that. And Kyle, remember the old fish tank stuff in ROH? Like it was, it was yeah. cheesy and goofy, but in some ways, like was a was it like a, a precedent or like a, a pre dating kind of like being the elite kind of thing in a weird way, where it's like mainstream wrestling that can be like kind of goofy and off the cuff that way. Um, but like, yeah, the relationship between Bobby and Kyle. And, and how it's, like, the most natural that Kyle ever feels <laughs> when he's, like, trying to perform is when he's dealing with Bobby. It, it does harken back to some of those, like, legitimate friendships moments that you see in wrestling. Um, stuff like, like, Paul Heyman and CM Punk. I think their interactions had a similar feel. Yeah, like, yeah, like, like, yeah like, they feel like normal people. Or, like, you know, going back to, like, Bach went, like, you know, Bach Bach went, Yeah. Like, they, they, they feel like normal people. Right. Um, Austin and Pillman, I think those two, yeah. when they were a tag team and then when they were feuding with each other, was some of the most real shit that I think gets overlooked on being a big part of, like, the Pillman, Brian has a gun thing with Austin was a huge thing to catapult Austin into being such a big star because of the emotion and the realness that came out of that. That it, <laughs> I love Austin just walking to his gun and like walking to it. Like everyone just thinks about th- just thinks about like him going into the house and being crazy and there being a yeah. gun. I, I like the psychology of like Austin is crazy. He's a lunatic. We know that. But like at the same time he's like look I know Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman's not about, not about to fucking shoot me. Yes. Yeah and it's like they that gets that segment gets 
broken down to basically you just see the clip of like the soap proper moment with Pillman's eyes because he does have yeah. like that soap proper actor face and it turns into a goofy thing. But at the time, if you were watching that segment and even if you go back and watch the whole thing, like it's it's fucking gripping. Like it's emotionally gripping stuff. And that again, like I said, I gets it gets overlooked as like a big thing and a big moment in the history of like Austin becoming a big deal. Those kind of like real friendships those real dynamic interactions between people where they they they're able to convey like human interactions on the screen is what makes like big time stuff. that's it is kind of a bummer that bobby fish has never really gotten a major chance because yeah he's like he really delivers that and him and kyle their relationship for the entire time has been like so awesome like from the moment that they joined up i think the very very beginning it was a little weird it was a little goofy at times but as they developed like their friendship and their chemistry is like amazing so and again and, and, and it rubs off on the whole group like roddy has always given like like frat bro vibes and adam cole like well you know adam cole adam cole is like a fucking video game nerd but like you know just like to hang out with his friends like that's who like that's what he really is so like once you strip all the heel bravado and all the gimmick and all that shit away from it and it just it really does come across like guys that are just happy for their friend who they know is one of the best wrestlers in the world and now he's finally getting a chance to show it yeah and you know like I've never been that um, complimentary of the Undisputed Era but it almost felt like when um you know just like just with that intro and when when they came back out again it almost felt like when the Elite came out during um um Omega vs Okada 2 yeah and a lot, a lot of stuff that you feel when you when you watch, watch the Bucks like like vehemently cheering on Kenny, and Kenny looking like he's down and out, and the Bucks hanging on every single drop kick and near fall. It it kind of gave me that feeling of like this is like a real thing for them. Even if they know it's fake and they know Kyle's about to lo- about about to lose here, that seeing him go out there is still like a real thing for them, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, no, definitely, and it, and and it is real because. Even if you are a wrestler, you probably watched wrestling at some point, especially nowadays, and you were a fan. And it, as a fan, getting to see it up close, even if it's it, you are on the inside, and even if you do know, you know, know what's going to happen, you know the finish or whatever it is, um, you're still like, <laughs> as a fan, you're at in a fucking sold out arena in front of thousands of fans, seeing wrestling history and you're getting to be right there and it's not just that you're getting to watch wrestling history up close and personal but one of your friends is in there making wrestling history you know what i mean and that's real and so yeah when you get to see stuff like that it's like it's really fucking cool as a wrestling fan that's a cool thing to see so yeah but what's not as cool is uh <laughs> we get the return of sam shaw <laughs> um i don't He's he's another one that's fuck like just like fucking Killer Cross. I don't know what is going on here or what the appeal is. Okay. I don't. He's never been good. I agree with you anything. about Sam Shaw, like, but let me, Quentin. I was gonna make this joke, and then I think that you did it on purpose. That was not Sam Shaw. Oh. <laughs> but I agree with what you're saying about Sam Shaw, but he's still out injured. Oh fuck! It is. Yes, this is Ridge Holland. 
Who was Rich Holland? Uh, I think Luke Menzies. He was a. Uh, I think he's an Olympic um, wrestler, like a amateur wrestler. I think that you're telling me that's. Are you? That's not. No, 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 no. He is a rugby player. You were professional you're rugby that. player. Yeah, this is Ridge you're Holland. Kidding me. He's the guy that dumped Johnny Gargano on his head on that power slam a couple weeks back. That's so that's that's not Sam. Shaw. I know. I totally was gonna make the joke. I like wanted to make the joke and say like Sam Shaw returned at the end of the match. But you, I think that I genu- I, genu- <laughs> I genuinely thought it was Sam Shaw. No, like, totally. I mean, it's it's confusing. But I think Sam Shaw has a mustache. Um, <laughs> he had a mustache too. <laughs> Did he? I thought oh, for some reason I thought he didn't have a mustache. But either way, this is uh, Ridge Holland. Either way, I agree with you. Sam Shaw is fucking weird, and I don't understand how he ever got signed. But it's not at the same level as Killer Cross because Sam Shaw feels like a guy that they're just like they're pushing, but Killer Cross feels like a guy that they think is going to be a star. Okay, yeah, that's, that's fair. But you're t- um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I I swear I looked directly at this man. I know, I know. I watched the whole thing and what I was fucking fuck? confused. And the commentators didn't explain anything, so you don't know what the fuck is going on. The they, only- they they say his they say his name really quick. Do they? So, yeah, they say like like uh, I think they go that's that's Rich Holland and, and like they just say it really quick. Uh, and then obviously obviously they sign off so you can hear like Bobby Fish and Roddy, <laughs> you know, like you know, checking on Adam Cole, but like. I what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it it's. I had to look up a review. I've I listened. I've listened to a couple of different podcasts talk about it, and like some people made the joke that it was Sam Shaw as well. I think, um, and, or I think they maybe thought it actually was. Some people mentioned that. How it was do really, you? How, how do you lack the self awareness to not see like? How, like how did wrestling go from hey? Hey, my, hey, brother! In my match, I'm gonna use the steps. Yeah. So don't use. So don't use the steps. So you don't even know that you have like the same fucking person. The guy looks like, exactly the same on your like on your roster. And this is why you have to have diversity in the writers' room, because if there had been like one person of color in the writers' room for this, they could have been like, you understand that all of these cracker ass white boys look the same, right? <laughs> It's like, like he, he was wearing a long sleeve shirt. I know. And the same low haircut and the same mustache. Like, same jacked up white. What? Is, what? Yeah. Oh, all right, man. Yeah. I do think that Ridge Holland is probably a little bit thicker, maybe wider. I don't know. Um, dude, dude, Sam Shaw is huge. That's true. Sam Shaw is. But he's a little taller. I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. We'd have to, I got to see these guys in the same room to prove like, that they're dude, not the Sam same guy. Shaw is fu- Sam Shaw is fucking gigantic. Yes, like, he's like he's like you don't think of him that way because like certain guys you don't think of them as like gigantic right. guys like EC three, EC three is fucking huge. Right, like Sam, like Sam Shaw isn't as cut or, cut or defined, but like he's not that far off from like EC three. He's honestly probably taller. That's what I'm saying. Like Sam Shaw is actually a lot taller, I think, than people even realize. He's probably taller than this guy too, and taller than EC three. Like Sam Shaw is a pretty is fucking big. Like he's a big guy. So. But yeah, this is Man. this is uh, Ridge Wallet. Um, he's a it's a special. I feel, I feel like I just like 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 <laughs> like remember like the, like the, like the end of Shutter Island when it, when it's realized like it was all in his head. Yes, like, <laughs> that's I feel like that just happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, but yeah, so th- I guess this makes slightly more sense too because like I was saying when you were talking about Sam Shaw, like. Sam Shaw felt like he was supposed to be a babyface, 
I don't know what Ridge Holland is supposed to be, other than, like I said, that he dropped Johnny Organo on his head. And, like, I don't know, was Johnny a heel in that match? It doesn't matter. NXT is weird right now. Yeah, it's they don't have, all weird. They don't have heels and baby faces. Yeah, yeah at, this point, at this point, yeah, they might not have heels and baby faces. Nah, there's no reason for it. Like, Io Shirai never actually turned. I feel like Io Shirai was a heel. That, yeah, that, 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 that is a good point. Like, she just decided, we just decided, like, you know what it was? One of those things where, like, the crowd, she was already so over, like, when the crowds still, like, when the crowds were still around. That's like, okay, like, we know the crowd's like Io Shirai, and they want to see her win the title, and want to see, and want to cheer for her. So let's just do it. And the women's, like, the women's division didn't have any baby faces, really. So they're like, well, let's just have her, she, like, wrestles Dakota Kai, eh, you know, fuck it. And then it's like, well, she has to be the baby face against Dakota Kai, because Dakota Kai is, like, the only strong heel that they really have. So it's like, eh, you know, whatever. And then, yeah, so it's like, there's no in a turn. There's no, and it's like, the crowd likes her. She's good. So it's like, eh, she's just a baby face, kind of, but nothing official. And, like, that's how NXT is now. It's like, like, when did the, when did the fucking, um, uh, Future Shock, or not Future Shock, what the fuck, Undisputed Era, when did they turn? They didn't turn. I, I guess, like, if you want to say that the, the Cole McAfee thing was supposed to be, like, part of a turn? But it was, like, clearly, clearly McAfee was, was presented, was presented right. with the asshole there. There wasn't a turn, it was just Adam Cole started feuding with a heel. Like, there, he didn't turn, he didn't change anything about his character, nothing happened. It was just, like, Adam Cole got in a fight with someone who was then a heel. Like, you know what I mean? But then now the whole yeah. stable is is babyfaces. Like, yeah, it's just... The, the, and, and, I'm pretty sure, and, and I'm pretty sure when Dream came back, he was a babyface. Right, I'm pretty sure. yeah, he was. And then, like, and like he was feuding, and I think he went back to feuding with Roddy, and, like... That wasn't that wasn't that long ago. Like, and then they just turned and they just turned Dream back heel, and then Kushida came back from injury, and now here he is attacking Dream like a lot. <laughs> yeah, after their match. Well, even the Sam Shaw stuff with uh with Undisputed Era would have made more sense with Undisputed Era being baby faces and Sam Shaw being a heel, but it wasn't, and that was like. Here's a, here's a, Here's, yeah. a, like, here's this fucking weirdo just like stalking, stalking these people. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> and then they're the heels. Yeah, they're like creepily stalking him, and he shows up and like attacks them in the dark and from behind and stuff like that. But it was like, then he was supposed to be a baby face. So it is like, and then like less than a month later, you turn them baby face anyway. So you could have, if you had any thought or plan or any care for heel baby face stuff, you could have like easily made a lot of this stuff make more sense but they don't care about the heel and babyface thing so it is like ridge holland dumps adam cole onto the uh, and i mean it is like muddiness begats muddiness begats muddiness because it's like the fact that adam cole never really turned is what makes it really easy for someone like ridge holland to show up and dump him on the floor like that and for you to be like I don't know if he's a healer or babyface because I don't really know if Adam Cole is a healer babyface because he never really turned into a babyface, but I kind of think he's a babyface. So that's what makes like that doesn't make any sense, and then you just continue to go from there where everything doesn't make sense because nobody cleanly turns, and your storylines don't really make any sense because you just are going from one thing to the next with no connection. So that was not the point of this podcast, though, Quentin. We didn't come on here. To talk about how bad NXT booking is. Yeah, but you kind of have to talk about it. It's, it's like, true. Well, like, man, like, like, even if people, even if people that don't like, don't aren't really watching like that, which we, 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 we can both admit, as far as NXT, like, 
it still comes out, it, like, even if, like, you want to say, like, well, you guys are, like, are, are casual and not really watching as much, I don't think even the video packages do a good job of explaining these things. No. Why did Dream just suddenly attack Oshida? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But, you know, like, like, you know, like, these things aren't really, like, explained that well within, within the confines of these video packages. Yeah. And then, meanwhile, look at New Japan, and you've got, like, Osprey is, like, turning heel over the course of the entire tournament. But you're, like, making it clear that he's becoming a heel. You know what I mean? And, like, that's, like, right. the level of, like, actually putting thought into it. You don't just expect people to understand that now. Or or, 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 even, or even, like, Kenta. Like, yeah. when, Kenta, when Kenta was in the G1 and they saw the reactions he was getting, and, like, slowly you see Kenta kind of, like, feed into the reactions and play it up a little bit. And then when he fucking turns at the end of the tour, it's like it's not a surprise. Like it's a big angle, it's a big huge thing. But you aren't like shocked that Kenta turned because he's been playing heel yeah. or a subtle heel the entire tur- the entire tournament. Yeah, because you've been building to it and teasing to it, and then you have the moment where it happens. Instead of just like you slowly do whatever and then you like muddle through it until you get to a point where it's like, I guess the undisputed era are baby faces. I don't know. I, is Finn Balor a heel? Like, I don't know what the yeah, fuck. Like, yeah, like, is Finn Balor maybe face? <laughs> yeah, what? He's the champion, and I have no fucking clue. But, like, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> this this show is so fucking weird, man. I don't know if you're talking about NXT or if you're talking about this podcast, but either way, oh, no. Quentin, <laughs> I think it's I'm time NXT, yes. for us to uh, to finish this up, I think, unless you had anything else that you just needed to get out there. You want to talk about some N1? I don't know if you've been watching. Um... Oh yeah, like no. Um, <laughs> I haven't got, I haven't, I haven't got, any of that. Like, to be really honest, and Champions Carnival just wrapped up, so I'll be, I'll be like, oh, doing yeah, yeah. like some catch, some catch, some catch up on that on that when I can, and obviously G one. But yeah, I got, I got nothing to add here. Um, I wanted to watch the, like, the final, oh, but I wanted to watch the the Champion Carnival final because I heard that that was good, but you know, didn't get to it. Yeah. Um gonna be recording a new psychology is dead uh as you're hearing this um uh, less than uh 10 hours away from rec- from recording a new psychology is dead um i'll let the i'll let the guest of uh let the guest of honor be a surprise for whenever the show is uploaded <laughs> but something i'm really ex- i'm really excited to do so be on the lookout for that uh oh i guess within this within the same time frame as uh this will be out yeah probably pretty close uh you're going to be recording that podcast within 10 hours. Hopefully you can keep that podcast under 10 hours. Um, but hopefully. Yeah. But uh, that's it for me, Quentin. I don't know. Do you want, I, actually, I haven't done this in a while. Do you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close her out, Quentin. Um, all right, all right. Thank you for listening, everyone. You can follow Quentin at uh, QT underscore Moody on Twitter. You can look for Psychology is Dead on the uh, We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network, which you're probably listening to this on unless... You're someone who's outside my apartment barbecuing. Um, and uh, that's it. Honestly, you can follow me on Twitter at Bone Dog's Wife, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, otherwise, thank you for listening.